Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Well, thanks for joining us today. We've got a really interesting show. I've got Dr. Alan Lewis. He's an MD. He's got over 30 years of medical practice experience using both traditional and integrative medicine approaches. He's the founder of the Santica Familia Center for Integrative Medicine in Columbus, Ohio, started that in 2011, where he specializes in treating children and adults with learning, mood, developmental, behavioral, and immune infectious disorders, including ASD, ADHD, PANS, PANDAS, and Lyme's disease. He also serves as a clinical director for Advanced Brain Technologies, founders and creators of the Listening Program. He attended the University of Washington School of Medicine in Seattle, Washington, and completed his pediatric residency training at Primary Children's Medical Center in Salt Lake City, Utah. He was board certified in pediatrics in 1993, completed recertification in 2000 and 2007. Before founding Santa Familia, he practiced general pediatrics for 10 years in Salt Lake City, Utah, Billings, Montana, and served for seven years as a medical director for the Pfeiffer Treatment Center in Illinois, where he treated children and adults with learning, mood, and behavioral problems with targeted nutrient therapy. So he's, I said in the beginning, he's got over 30 years of medical practice using traditional and integrative medicine approaches. And it's always interesting to find what takes somebody off on a different path. And his medical career was directed down a different path when his child was diagnosed with autism at age two. He didn't have the functional framework in traditional medicine for treatment of this child's autism and the different medical problems. So he began to explore all kinds of things. Tell us more about that, Dr. Lewis. Well, thanks for the kind introduction. (laughs) Um, Well, I think as with anybody, you know, when you get trained for some profession, when you get out in the real world and start to practice it, um, you're learning as you go. Not complete learning, but the nuances are what really is really where the rubber makes the road. And so when my son was diagnosed with autism, you know, it was thought that autism was really incurable and semi-rare, I would say. What we've come to learn is um, I think there's much that can be done for autism. We don't think of something that's a specific treatment for autism because there's nothing except behavioral therapy that's shown to be exactly treatment-oriented. But... Um, the way it's helped me think of um, illness in different ways. So one of the ways I really think of autism and many of the illnesses we treat now is I usually think of brain illness rather than mental illness. So we're looking at, at least in autism, a child with a biologically impaired brain that if we can help unimpair the brain with the therapies that we do, then that allows that brain to function better. And in the case of autism, helps them to um, develop because the diagnosis of autism is much related to the developmental delay and psycho-emotional um, uh, development. 
I don't know if that answered your question. I hope so. Well, well, it does. And I love when, you know, when you said instead of talking mental health, let's talk brain health, because that is my soapbox for the next couple of years is to create some social change around that. Everybody thinks that, you know, there's something wrong if you have a mental health problem. But boy, if you have a problem with your heart, your first thing you do is you get to that doctor. And if you have a problem with the brain, you should be doing exactly the same thing. And that hasn't been what people have done because they they think of mental health. Oh, I don't want to admit that I have a problem, you know, and hey, guys, it's OK to not be OK, whether it's autism or ADHD or anxiety. That's all just a, a, a brain that is processing differently and perhaps in a dysregulated state. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that. Um, it, it, I was very interested when I started looking into what can we do for autism and realized how much gastrointestinal illness that I was seeing. I mean, in fact, um, some of the first patients I saw, this is 25 years ago, maybe longer, you know, had constipation. Um, the first child I remember seeing that was re that self-referred to me for autism uh, shortly after we had started doing behavioral therapy and my son was crying all the time and he didn't sleep at night. And when I took the history, I really, you know, this is early in my career of treating this stuff. So I just did hopefully a thorough medical, you know, history and sounded like he was constipated. And sure enough, he had about a uh, orange-sized piece of stool. This is a five-year-old orange-sized piece of stool in his rectum. And uh, uh, we cleared that out, and guess what? No more crying, and he slept through the night. Now, you know, that's not the first time I've heard that story. Oh, well, that's not the first time I, I've lived that story with families. <laughs> Constipation is still one of the most common things we see in um, patients with neuro neurodevelopmental disorders. Um, and you know, it's not necessarily the usual constipation either. I mean, constipation is not uncommon in children. The way I used to describe it is it be kind of came, started with inconvenient retention. You know, hey, now it's not a good time to poop because I'm playing and I don't want to go. And so I hold it to the point that I eventually have a hard stool tear the rectum on the way out, and then I don't want to go anymore, and then you start getting into a retention habit. In the case of these kids with neurodevelopmental, neurodevelopmental stuff, ASD, um, you know, they have a more of a dysmotility pattern. And that means that their stool may not be hard, but it's not coming out and their whole colon's full of stool, which is very uncomfortable. And really, you know, as I delved into that more, it became, uh, I think, more clear that what was really going on is the bowel, bowel was unhealthy in many ways, poor digestion, imbalances in good and bad bacteria, overgrowth of yeast and other problems. So that dysmotility picture or poor motility picture was probably a consequence of the sickness of the colon. So as we heal the colon, guess what? A lot of that improves and along with that, obviously health and wellness and brain health for sure. Well, you know, and just in the last six to nine months, my 
orientation towards the brain has shifted. And it shifted to really include the communication between the body and the brain. And when I when I think about you know all the the gastro issues that people have, and and it's not just autism. A lot of times, people with anxiety, they feel it in their gut. Yeah. No, actually, I think one of the running jokes is you know at some point when you know you go to the psychiatrist, you know um, usually what they do is you know have you lay on the couch and do psychoanalysis, not that that's really what they do anymore, but ultimately they're going to be using rectal swabs to look to see what does the microbiome show? What, you know, what is the imbalances in bacteria that's leading to anxiety and or depression? And we're going to be treating the bowel to aid the brain rather than necessarily treat the brain. However, we also know that specific strategies to help anxiety, mindfulness or other things are also essential because Mindfulness, mindfulness, and especially in a busy world today, is an essential skill to keep the brain from being overloaded. So it's the idea that we have to approach both the health of the brain from a physical standpoint, but from other aspects as well. Well, and I'm always amazed, you know, when people, they'll ask me about neurotransmitters, and I'll say, well, you know, how's your diet? How do you eat? Well, what's that got to do with it? You know, well, where do neurotransmitters come from? I don't well, know. They come from your gut. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is the brain's really a chemical factory, you know, and if it produces really almost all of that it needs. So it, of course, needs the liver and the body and, of course, the diet to provide those building blocks. But, you know, the brain, you know, can take care of itself if it's given what it's need, it needs, and that's where thinking of the body as a whole really matters, you know. Well, it does. And, and I, you know, I've always said that the body keeps score of everything yeah. that's going on uh, in the brain, you know. Well, yeah, and the muscles keep score of trauma and the nerves keep score of stress. So, yes, the body keeps has a memory, you know, there's no question. And that's changing kind of my approach to the brain, I really think has has been proven to be more effective. Um, and certainly, I think, has almost increased the efficiency of working on the brain. So oh. you, you're pretty well versed in gastrointestinal issues. Let's talk a little bit about that, because honestly, I think seven out of 10 people that come in my door, and I'm not an MD, I'm a, a psychotherapist, a neurotherapist, but I think seven out of 10 that come in my door have some gastrointestinal issues. Right. Well, first is, you know, is someone having an effective daily stool? So I've learned to say effective, which means, you know, you if you have X in, you have to have X out. <laughs> Okay, so just because you go every day, if you're going X minus 90%, you're not going enough, you know. And so the idea is you're having a daily effective stool, which shouldn't be hard and hard to pass. Um, and some of it is um, just allowing yourself to be on a schedule, you know. Some people, you know, they're so busy they don't have any time to sit, um, which isn't helpful for regular stooling. What we put in matters. Um, unfortunately, there's a prevailing opinion that um, it doesn't matter what we eat, but that's not true. 
you know, and if you ever want to see something that's scary, watch the um, the movie, was it Super Size Me, when the one guy ate McDonald's three meals a day for a month? What happened oh, to wow. his, oh my gosh. his liver function, his weight, and his mental state, and all those things. So, you know, um, gluten is a significant problem with 1% of the population being autoimmune to it, which is called celiac. That's a relatively high number that need to be careful of this one substance. Dairy also was known to be one of the number one causes of constipation and upper respiratory illnesses and recurrent ear infections. But um, and still, it's you know feeling well. I got to have my dairy. I, I, I try to be. I understand the desire to have um, good tasting food, but at the same token, one has to decide: is the food making me ill? And that's that's a factor. The other is um, sugar. You know, refined sugar is a form of poison. High fructose corn syrup really doesn't have a redeeming quality. Um, and these things have been shown to be negative on attention. You know, thankfully, um, the fine gold diet was um, finally proven to be um, effective in helping with ADHD. So let's get remo- let's remove non-food items. You know, colorings, chemicals, dyes, and those things, and the brain worked better. So, you know, generally is are, is one stooling daily? You know, are is one getting enough of true whole food nutrients, you know, non-processed food, and limiting um, processed food and dyes and colorings? That that alone goes a long way to help someone being healthier in their diet and their GI function. Well, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that because I get asked about diet probably three or four times every week. And my, you know, what's the best diet? And my only response to that is don't eat processed food. If it comes in a bag, in a box, in a can, if it's good for two years, stop and ask yourself what's in there. Because what's keeping it good for two years isn't going to be good for you. That's for sure. Well, I remember once when we were talking about this, when I was in general practice and my um, partner's daughter came back from Brown and said, Mom, do you know what I learned in biology? She goes, no, what? She goes, Bodies are decomposing more slowly now than 100 years ago because the preservatives we eat. The morticians noticed it. I was like, okay, well, um, we can do all sorts of studies, but, you know, when you have external validity like that, that makes pretty good sense, you know. So it's a gross thought when you think about it, but it also helps you go, okay, well, maybe there is some truth to that. Well, and, and, you know, how hard is it to not eat processed it's, I think that we live in this immediate state, you know, and you mentioned earlier, let's supersize it. Let's get the, you know, more is better. And I think, you know, when I look at the size of plates in the, when I go in Crate and Barrel, I was in there over the weekend looking for a, a gift for a wedding. And I looked at the size of these plates and I thought, oh my gosh, they're huge. No wonder we're, we're overeating. If we're trying to fill that plate up, and then eat everything on it. It's, I mean, I was like, I was amazed. I thought, I, I, I think I'll get a salad plate. Yeah. Well, I think what you said is it's, um, it's, I'm not sure it's easy to not eat processed food, um, depending on our mindset in life. So if we actually are choosing to be healthy, since you can't fall into health. You know, you have to choose to be healthy. 
So does that mean, are you getting enough sleep? You know, are you taking time for yourself, which means are you not overscheduling yourself and stressing out your brain? Then, because if you get into that overscheduled, unrested state, then you know, your brain is going to be significantly stressed. And that's the point then we just may choose to eat whatever's convenient. And that which is convenient is not um, pleasant. Pardon me, isn't not necessarily healthy for us, you know. Well, and I think that we all have to stop and think about what is healthy for us. To me, Dr. Lewis, the most, the simplest thing is your sleep. Getting on a schedule and getting a good night's sleep. You know, that brain, those little neurons and dendrites, they're kicking out all that toxic waste all day long. And the only time those little glial cells are going to come out and clean that mess up is when you're asleep. And more and more research is showing they're linking insomnia to Alzheimer's. And, but it's one of the hardest things that I deal with in my clinic is getting people to get on a sleep schedule, go to bed Monday through Friday, go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and there's, what you're talking about is glymphatic flow too. You know, we have lymph. So when blood goes away from the heart and then starts to come back, not all of the fluid that went out as arterial blood comes back as venous blood or the blue blood. Some of it comes back as lymph. So the the fluid that went through the tissue and there's no lymph vessels in the brain, but they did learn that glymph, so lymph-like fluid in the brain flows only in sleep and it's that's interesting a paramount for detoxification and cleaning of the brain and then i want you reminded me of something that i didn't say necessarily about being healthy um and eating but one of the key things in eating too is not eating for a period of time um you know they're talking about alzheimer's which you brought up as being uh, type 3 diabetes. So one of the biggest diseases in America is insulin resistance. So too much food, too often unhealthy, high carb, and a sedentary diet makes us more um, insulin resistant, which means our insulin levels go up. Well, it turns out the same enzyme in the brain that breaks down beta amyloid um, will also break down insulin. So that means if one is becomes insulin resistant and their insulin levels go up, they start putting insulin in place of beta amyloid in the brain, so that increases your risk of Alzheimer's. So how do we help deal with that? Well, one I mentioned was exercise, but the other is also not eating. So it's healthiest to water fast, so that means drink water only for 12 hours a day, if not more, so that we retain our insulin sensitivity. We retain our ability to not eat when we don't need to rather than eating for insulin resistance or pleasure. Well, and, and you know, eating disorders has, in the last two years, the increase that's occurred in eating disorders is shocking. Yeah. I mean, we can understand why with stress. I mean, we, many of us know we stress eat. So, yep. yeah, yeah, 
but and some know, and some of us don't eat at all when we get stressed out. Well, that too, you know. And well, I don't have that problem, which is unfortunate. <laughs> so it doesn't come to mind as it as it should. But yes, you're right. People don't eat when they're sick. And when we overeat, when we're stressed, what do we go for? I go for that comfort food. What makes me feel good? Right. And unfortunately, that's not necessarily those things that are high in needed nutrition, you know. No, it never is for me. No. <laughs> I mean, it's well, it's, me it's always. It's, yeah. You know, it's not necessarily sugar, but it can be heavy carbs or there's there's many ways that we can go down that negative food path. So. Right. And then what, when it comes to, you know, the things we eat, especially carbs, you know, carbs and um, chemicals and high fructose corn syrup and other unhealthy things feed unhealthy bacteria in the bowel. So if we were talking about that balance of good and bacteria in the bowel and we're feeding the bad ones, then we have no... Um, we, we should know that we're also going to be unhealthy because it's making us, they're going to, as we start to feed more of the bad guys, they're going to want us to eat more bad stuff. And then we have to resist it at a biochemical level because uh, what's going on in the bowel can alter thought. I mean, I don't know if you've heard the story, but they've done school transplants to understand that, you know, does the composition of the bowel flora, so the microbiome, matter? And they did studies where they had men that were obese and men that were thin, and they transplanted the stool of the thin guys into the heavy guys, and the heavy guys lost weight. Well, that's wow. All they did. That's all they did. So they changed the microbiome makeup of the guys that were obese to the microbiome wake-up of the guys that were thin, and they lost weight. That's incredible. I yeah. had not heard that. That uh, Boy, I'm glad that I've, I've done a rethink, I've, that I've re rethunk how important that brain-body connection is. Well, that's for sure, you know. Yeah. I mean, you probably, you know, something newer, uh, you know, on my radar. So I guess I should step back, you know, Many of the ways I was trained is, you know, I'm thinking of biologic function, and I do think, I, I hope, I thought of the interrelatedness of the symptoms, you know, between, you know, bowel and brain and those things, nowhere near the way I understand it today. But, you know, the idea of polyvagal theory is very interesting, you know, that depending on what part of the vagus nerve is, you know, firing more, it may affect our mood. So I, I don't know if that's something that you know about or I'm just learning about it, so I'm not a authority. Well, no, but I mean, I'm, I'm just learning about it too. We've talked about the vagal nerve and the role it plays in the brain yeah. for, for a long time, but the more we talk about it, the more that we learn about it. And it's, it's so interesting to me that the brain function i mean i know that the brain puts off enough energy to light a light bulb but it needs all of that energy it's not like it has excess energy to spare i mean it, to make to make the the central nervous system run to make the autonomic nervous system run the brain needs all the energy that it has and when i think about our lifestyle choices that we make 
it, it's amazing to do to me what we do to short circuit that energy. Sure. Well, the electric light bulb hasn't done much for helping regulate proper sleep cycles. That's for sure. <laughs> um, electronic screens, you know, so screen dependency and um, uh, UV light, you know, or blue light, you know, has not done much to help us either, you know. Um, so. Yeah, I'm, there's much, you know, I, we didn't have smartphones when I was in residency. And so I don't think many of us were really ready to see what's happened to learning and attention and mood in um, children and young adults since smartphones became so ubiquitous. Well, I am happy to report I got new glasses and I haven't gotten new glasses in probably four or five years. And they asked, do you want you know, do you want the lens um, treated for the computer screen? And I'm like, absolutely. So there's, it, it is amazing that what we're coming out with, you know, we've got about three minutes before we go to break. And let's kind of, let's kind of step back and summarize. If you could give our listeners three takeaways from the first part of the show, what would those takeaways be? Be conscious about your health, which involves sleep diet, exercise, and relationship, which we didn't talk about. Um, think of brain wellness from a function of the brain cell and not just from thought or electrical activity. Think of the cell function and how it's important for the brain to have a healthy body. Um, I think those are the two big ones. I can't think of a third, sorry. <laughs> Well, that's what that. No, that's that's fine. I guess, you know, the first thing that came to my mind is to really pay attention to your basic things like your gastrointestinal yep. issues. Some people don't think anything about it. Um, they just well, you know, they just feel like, oh, I don't have time. I can't make the time. I, I'm fine. I can go, you know, I can go two or three days without pooping. And I, just the basic things are sometimes the most hard to say, I've got to stop. I've got to make the time and take care of just on such a basic level. And you're right. We didn't talk about relationships. And that certainly is a, a big, huge, thing. huge. So when we come back from break, I would love to talk to learn more about that. And then I'd also really like to learn more about what you've done with nutritional deficiencies and overages. I know you use a targeted nutrient therapy and I think you used it or you learned about it when you were working with your son. So, you know, there's so much more that for us to talk about and really learn about because when I think of the the brain and the body, I just think that I used to think that, well, you know, the brain's in charge and the brain is, is what really is important. And I've learned that you can't separate the two. There are, Without one, the, the other doesn't mean anything. And right. and my hope in a lot of the, the shows that we do in your head is that we help people understand it's not just in your head. It's also in your body. You know, the body keeps score of everything that goes on in the brain. Exactly. So, stay with us. We're going to take a break and then we'll be right back. We'll be back after these messages. 
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. To lose weight, we know that each day we need to burn more calories than we take in through eating, and exercise burns more calories. According to Discovery Health, a 150-pound person will burn about 60 calories while taking a one-hour nap. One hour of sitting and watching television burns about the same. But if that 150-pound person takes a one-hour brisk walk, then say goodbye to more than 250 calories. Cardio exercise like running, biking, swimming, and brisk walking are the best modes of exercise to burn the highest amount of calories and will get the endorphins flowing in your body. Those feel-good neurotransmitters boost your mood naturally. So use exercise to burn calories, lose weight, and to feel good. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. It's marching There's nothing like a high-profile court case to grab our attention. My mother was a court reporter, and she would frequently share funny things that happened during a trial. An easygoing judge would often let off the pop and jays or repeat offenders. My mother would sometimes whisper to the judge, You'll never learn if you keep letting him off. Once in a while, the judge would reconsider and order the popinjay to the calaboose or jail. The court reporter records everything, including funny and embarrassing statements made by witnesses. Here's a statement made by a defendant accused of theft. Did you get a good look at my face when I took your purse? What's a word for the natural tendency to put your foot in your mouth? Dontopodology. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. We're back, and when we left you, we were talking about the, the different aspects of the brain-the-body connection, and and one thing that we didn't touch on was relationships, and the way that I view relationships is I know that when, when we get extremely stressed out, whether it's emotional, it's physical, it's psychological, where that stress, or what I hear at the Brain Performance Center, where that stress really hurts the most is the relationships that we have with our families and our friends and those that go out of their way to take care of us. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. Sometimes the people we lash out to the ones are the ones we love most because they're the ones that are safe for us. And they're the ones that are already hurting for us because they're seeing us suffer, you know. Actually, that concept of not knowing one's state of brain illness uh, was something that came up in targeted nutrient therapy that I learned at the Pfeiffer Treatment Center. Um, Basically, um, uh, they started to present the idea that there may be imbalances in biochemistry that we can test that alter kind of your biologic response to stress or other events. So kind of like we've heard there's something called the classic temperament, so people that may be melancholic or phlegmatic or um, sanguine. We can also look at these biochemical types, and it gives us an idea how the people behave. So the classic one, the one that really stood out when I first started hearing about this, is something we call pyral disorder, 
and it's a functional deficiency of vitamin B6, magnesium, and zinc in the body, mostly B6 or P5P, it's other analogs. And those individuals um, can have pretty high, uh, pardon me, pretty poor stress tolerance that can lead to anxiety and fear and sensory issues, light, sound, smell, and touch. Um, they can also have anger or turn their anger internally. But the other thing that came up and what ties into this idea of relationship is their misperceptions. Um, so they can uh, easily think that something, somebody's doing something um, purposefully to make them irritated, which is not true, of course. We're all messy. And the other is they're not very good at knowing what their um, level of irritability is at the moment. And, um, I mean, this spoke to me because I have pyral disorder and I've learned through the years I'm much calmer now that I am treated for it. Um, and how powerful the nutrients are came, you know, come in multiple experiences and people that take it and do better. But once I was doing some genetic testing and it suggested I might be sensitive to B6, which is uh, one of the main treatments for pyral disorder and it's been very good for me, I quit taking it, and five days later, my wife said, you know, when did you stop taking your B6? And I said, why did you say that? She said, you're grumpy. You know, so, you know, again, that easily proved that it was necessary for my mood and to not be harsh on her. So other things That's we see. That's interesting. Yeah. The other things we see is high copper can lead to agitation and anxiety and hyperactivity. So it becomes part of the differential diagnosis for especially the hyperactive impulsive type of ADHD. And then the others are high and low blood histamine. Um, and they're harder to nail um, just purely clinically, but there are kind of exact opposites um, in histamine. The blood testing really helps us, but high histamine people tend to be kind of the driven perfectionistic uh, my way or the highway type when they're out of balance. Um, I kind of think of them as the trauma surgeon. The low histamine folks tend to be the more um, nurturing, uh, empathetic, um, helpful type. The kind of the, the one person I mention is Mother Teresa. And uh, why it matters is, um, you know, when a person's out of balance, you can kind of See what their behavior is going to be like. You can also say, well, if I have a certain personality type, um, a, a job or a task might be better suited for one than the other. And so jokingly, I'll say, you know, you really don't want Mother Teresa as your trauma surgeon because she might ask you what the bullet wound feels like while they're waiting to fix it. And the trauma surgeon wouldn't be a very good waiter because you know, if you didn't like the food, they'd tell you to show up and eat it because you ordered it rather than make it right. So, you know, when we look at, once we start seeing this biochemical type in action, we can help people then kind of understand where are your strengths and weaknesses um, and kind of know what your response could be just from a biochemical standpoint and then it's easier to develop adaptive qualities um, for oneself, you know. 
So, you know, it's interesting because biochemicals is a, a term I'm hearing a lot more of lately. And what you're saying is all of the everything that goes on that biochemical level, that that's a predictor of the way that you behave and you respond. Did I hear that correctly? Well, kind of, yes. You know, it's not absolute. So, but remember, we're looking for tendencies to help us you know, help people. So I can't say that it's going to be exact, but, you know, chemical biochemicals are also neurotransmitters. I don't think we have a good way to test those yet, but that's what's going on in the brain. That's what we're altering with some of nutrients and, you know, but which most of the um, psychiatric drugs affect. So, yeah, I mean, biochemistry at its root level is, determinant in what's going on in the cell. And that's determined by both genetic and experience, what's called epigenetics. So how our exposure to our environment changes the way our genes are expressed. So does it boil down to what you eat? I mean, you mentioned copper earlier. And I thought, well, I don't think I eat anything with copper in it. And then I'm like, well, I have no idea. Well, it, it may be that you're eating high copper foods, okay, or you're not eating enough with zinc because zinc opposes it. Many people are zinc deficient. Explosive temper is one of the things we see. Um, I don't think of that one as much as a biotype of behavior as much as how negatively it affects our health because it affects skin health and gut health, um, memory, a number of things. But may, one of the main things we see in, chemi- in uh, copper issues is not so much excessive ingestion as inability to clear it because there's zinc deficient. So when, when I guess all of this is evaluated through blood work? Blood work, yep. We, pyro testing is done typically by urine. However, it's been harder to come by. We, you know, we've seen it so much. A lot of the times what we do is we know clinically if it's present and then do a trial of the treatment. But all the rest is done by blood. How hard is it to, to pick that out? What's that? The blood work? Oh, yeah. Well, I would say that it's easy once trained. So one challenge is if you do blood work and you use the norms for the lab, you know, usually the ranges are from 5th to 95th percentile of what um, all blood work shows up. Um, just being in range of 5th to 95th percentile isn't necessarily where you need to be. So we talk about the optimal range, for example, most commonly in zinc. Um, the, uh, the lab normals are somewhere between 75 and 150. Well, the greater majority of people are under, under 85. We see that depending on the lab, 90 to 110 or 100 to 120 is better. So it's optimal ranges. You know, RDA is not necessarily the best measure of what a person needs for vitamins and minerals. It's what is it, how does it affect their body and what does it do to the levels of their body? So that's a complicated answer. Well, it is. And what I was trying to do is kind of simplify it for our listeners because I mean zinc is something that you can go into your you can buy that anywhere right uh, 
anywhere, probably even the grocery store. So I was trying to simplify and to, you know, to drive home the point that this isn't that complicated. You know, taking care of yourself and knowing what you're working on isn't that complicated if you, if you invest the time and energy into understanding it. Right. And, you know, it's beyond the scope of say what doses we could do, but you know, you can, um, there's, certain doses that you can give that give that are unlikely to cause too much, you know, because I've mostly talked about deficits, which is mainly what we're seeing in zinc and D3, vitamin D3, that's huge for mood and immune function, but we can also have excess and that's part of the problem, you know, so copper is an excess, it's a copper overload, so we can't assume more is better in all cases because it's not true. It's all balance, you know. That's what matters. Well, and that's exactly with you know with the brain. Sure. You want to have. We all have slow, medium, and fast waves, and we need them all. We just yeah. need to have the right amount. Um, so balance is something that sounds so easy, but it can be so hard to achieve. It truly can. Do you right. see more deficiencies or more overages? Mostly deficiencies. You know? Okay. However, so that's not... ha, ha, Go ahead. Yeah. However, that's when I look at mineral and vitamins. In the case of when we treat folks with PANS, so pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syndrome, it's um, uh, where an infection triggers an abnormal immune response that causes an antibody to attack the brain. And then um, that results in the characteristic behavior. The characteristic behavior, usually of acute onset OCD or anorexia, associated with anxiety, um, as I said, OCD, tics, mood lability, some other things. They can look up, um, listeners can look it up at pandasppn.org. Um, but in that case, we have an overactive immune system that's triggering an attack on the brain that's causing directly the symptoms. In the case of Lyme disease, um, it's, it's more complicated. You can have both. You can, Lyme's uh, bacteria are significantly growing. They can cause immune deficiency that prevents the body from healing itself. But then as one gets in treatment and starts to kill the bacteria, then you can have all sorts of significant excess inflammation that's causing symptoms too. So, yeah, I mean, in almost all spheres, we have to be careful of imbalance. So, what about immune dysfunction? So many people that come in my in my clinic, I hear I have autoimmune issues. I have, you know, I hear immune dysfunction a lot. What's driving that? Well, stress. There's no question. That's a huge piece. Um, you know, so stress of the brain, but just emotional and physical stress. Improper diet, sleep deprivation, you know, there, there's no pill to replace sleep, you know. Same thing with immune deficiency, pardon me, a D3 deficiency, you know. We can replace it, thankfully, but, you know, if one got enough light, that would help a lot, you know. Motion, um, there's many things that are negatively affecting our immune system. I, I know I missed a few. Well, I think stress. Need to remember things sometimes. I think stress covers a lot. Yeah. And 
and stress, I mean, in all honesty, we have met, we've all met stress in a whole new way in the last two years. Right. Yeah. So how do you, what advice do you have for people that can't, that are not managing their stress? Well, what we've found, let me answer that, but just tell you another concept that I like. So in treatment of people that have physical evidence of stress, one thing is that their cortisol level can be low in the morning. And cortisol is supposed to spike high in the day and fade down at night. And so something, doing the things we've already talked about, living more healthy will help restore that balance. But one thing we can use is something called an adaptogen. So it's an herb that can help bring something too high down and something too low up. So it's almost hard to use it wrong, (laughs) you know. So that's especially nice when you have something, you know, a therapeutic that you can use that shouldn't cause negative effects. So we found that uh, we use something called the listening program from Advanced Brain Technologies, and it's, uh, you know, a modality that um, isn't exactly an adaptogen, but what we found is when used properly, it can be very helpful for many things. In the kids with um, ASD, we've seen improved listening and language and communication skills. And any people that are stressed, we see improvements with focus, attention, and memory. All people that are stressed, um, assuming that we go through the listening program at the right pace for them because we adapt how it's unveiled to their body can find a significant improvement in stress reduction. And then, you know, depending on what stress is, you know, one thing I tell folks with the kids on the spectrum is, you know, for them, the world is kind of a scary place um, because they have, they have their neurodevelopmental delay. Then they don't, they may, and one of, one of the big pieces of the neurodevelopmental delay is, you know, they don't understand social-emotional communication. It's its own language, if you think of it that way. So we may be barba- uh, bombarding the child with that kind of those social cues or that social language, but they're not a- aware that it's there. So if, and what we've seen is, as we get them into the listening program, we help the biology of their brain cell with the things we've talked about, then we've improved their auditory processing, but we've also improved their psycho-emotional processing so that they're now aware of what's going on. And that um, inability to recognize what's going on around them, and we all have that at times, you know, triggers the the fight-and-flight response. And so we want to keep that in control because that can lead to repeated anxiety and, of course, stress or post-traumatic stress disorder type of thing. And so we've we've found that in using the listening program, it's been really helpful with us for our patients because um, they can do it 15 to 30 minutes a day, five days a week, and they can do it at home. And so, I mean, some people have the ability to go elsewhere for therapy, 
but especially in the families that have ASD and PANS and folks that have chronic Lyme or other things like that, getting out of the house is tough. And especially during the pandemic, thankfully, we had something people could do at home, you know, that helped them. So anyway, that's, that's one thing that we've found that's really helpful, at least from a therapeutic modality. We know that the the advanced listening program had so much value just for those. I mean, I've, I've used it with clients with <clears throat> depression and anxiety. And I have to be honest, I, when my office was shut down a couple of years ago, um, I saw an email that was Alex that had put out and said, you know, everybody try it for free for seven days. And so I was, I latched onto it. Oh my gosh, I need something. And I did. And I could tell what a difference it made just in my mood and in my, I mean, those, those aren't, you're not just listening to music. Tell us more about what you're experiencing with the advanced listening program. Well, you know, it's um, specific engineered music that um, is played back so you can hear it, but also with the special headset so that it vibrates your skull. So you're getting both auditory and bone conduction. And then to, talking about four zones, green, blue, orange, red. Red is a little bit more challenging to the individual, so it's not something one starts with. But when you're doing green and blue, those are, do, those are auditory patterns that are helping um, rebalance and or calm the brain, okay? Orange and red are starting to challenge the brain and helping it to learn new skills, if you think about it in that sense. So, you know, if you have somebody that's monitoring what you're doing, and I'm, for, I'm very fortunate I have three super qualified people um, helping our patients, we've learned that um, if somebody, for example, with PANS is coming on a flare and they're in orange or red, they may not tolerate their listening program because their brain's now in a hyperactive inflamed state because of the flare, it needs more calming. So now if we can adapt what the listening program is doing for them, on the fly, then we can help calm their brain. We've seen this, shorten their flare, um, and then get back into retraining the brain. So um, it's it's really been just a wonderful thing for us. So then you almost have to supervise that for your clients that use it at home? Right. Yeah, I would say that, you know, we have kind of a proprietary way we use it, you know, the listening program is set up to have a specific start to end to repeat. But um, thankfully, Angie Woodward, one of my um, original uh, TLP people, recognized that um, as we started to unveil it in different people, you know, with so different patients with different diseases, that we were seeing different effects depending on where they were in the natural history of their, of their illness. So it tells us, one, it's an extremely powerful modality. The other is, as with anything we do, any of the nutrients or medications 
or other treatments, and I'm sure you see this in neurofeedback, is there's a right timing and a wrong timing for any one modality. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I've experienced myself. I do TLP. I mean, almost everything that we do that I can, I do myself. We, you know, I've done the listening program. We do hyperbarics. I love that. And we do something else called iron cleanse. Love that, too. But, you know, I do the listening program, and there was a period of time when I was going through a lot of stress, and I was in red, and I was wondering why I was getting so irritated, and, it, you know, I'm kind of mad at myself. It took me two weeks to figure out, oh, I shouldn't be in red. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you figure that out? How did you figure out that you were in red? Well, I, maybe the Lord beat me over the head, and I just needed it. <laughs> I, it was just one of those things that was like, oh, no wonder I'm so irritated. I'm in red. So what did I, you know, I just went back to green and I asked, I have three people, Jacqueline, Karen, Angela. I can't remember who I asked. I said, you know, I just noticed this. What do you think? And they go, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's, and it is a good idea, you know, but, but having that, that tribal knowledge is, is what's important. And I think that, like you said, well, it just kind of dawned on me that, duh, I mean, yeah. I use this with my, my practice and I, and I certainly have seen it in others, but it's so it's amazing. There's so many different things out there. And certainly I think the integrating traditional and alternative is, is the future. Um, there's no doubt about that, but people that want to learn more about you, you know, how can they access you online? What are yeah, some things that you can share? Sanctafamiliacenter.com. Can you spell that? Yeah, S-A-N-C-T-A-F-A-M-I-L-I-A-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Okay. The Holy Family. And is that something that if somebody, you know, sends an email that somebody will pick it up and read? Oh, and that, if they go to the website, so if they go to the website... Um, they can read more. It's actually, we're redoing it, so we're hoping to put more content on it um, and a blog. There's a little chat box that you can click, and it'll just ask you for your information, and we'll call you. Or you can call the office, and I can give you that number. It's 614-259-3760. I'm just blessed with awesome staff, you know, and they can help, you know, listen to people, you know, what they're hoping for and whether we might be able to help. You know, our goal is, you know, to see the people we can help and then if we can, point them in the right direction, you know, if we can. Absolutely. And anybody that wants to learn more about advanced brain technologies, how would they do that? Oh, you, I should have thought about that. I would look up advanced brain. I think it's advancedbrain.com. I think it is too. I think it's advancedbrain.com. So I just wanted to be sure. Well, I mean, thank you so much for spending time with me today. And really, just you make everything sound like it's it's not that complex. It just takes rigor. You have to put some rigor into your approach. And you have to really stop and, and look at yourself nutritional. What, what do you don't have enough of? What do you have too much of? And use targeted nutrient therapy to create some change. So I appreciate the knowledge. I appreciate your time. And I thank you for sharing with me and 
what I've learned. Thank you very much for having me on. On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. Thank you.